welcome to Inside the Admissions Office, the official podcast of Ingenious Prep and your go-to resource for expert admissions strategy. My name is Noelle, and each episode, I'll bring you behind-the-scenes knowledge from former admissions officers about their firsthand experiences reviewing applications. Our strategies have helped countless students gain acceptance to top universities, and we're here to help your student gain that competitive edge and do the same. If you would like to set up a complimentary strategy call, simply follow the link in our episode description and our expert team of enrollment counselors will work with you to create a personalized plan for admission into your student's dream school. Hi everyone, thanks so much for joining us today for our last episode of the year. And now that we're in mid-December, it's such an exciting time as most students have already heard back from their early decision schools. So we wanted to first and foremost congratulate everyone on their hard work and incredible admissions results. And at Ingenious Prep, we're always so proud to share that 97% of our students got accepted into their REACH schools last year. And while we're in the spirit of admissions and results season, I thought it would be the perfect time to bring on Krista, who is a former admissions officer at Ingenious Prep. I work closely with one of our students who got into MIT last year, and she shared such valuable insider knowledge like this one. Any opportunity to include information that isn't a button that you press or a drop-down menu is a chance to demonstrate your fit. It's a chance to show, for lack of a better word, personality. And this. It's important to remember that you are writing to people who are reading your application. Right. I can remember a handful of times when because of something that I read in the essay or in a teacher recommendation, I very much got excited about their candidacy. And as their advocate, I would write something to the extent of if we don't admit this student, I will lay down on the floor and die. I mean, we get really passionate about the students that we connect with. I hope you're as excited as I am for this episode. So without further ado, let's jump right into it. Hi, Krista. How are you today? Hi, Noelle. Great. Thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. And I'm so excited to chat. I've truly heard so much about you and the incredible work that you do with our students. But before we start, can you briefly introduce yourself, share a little bit about your background with our listeners? Sure. Well, thank you. That is so kind. My name is Krista Pickett. I am a former admission officer at Ingenious Prep, and that is my title because I was indeed an admission officer at my alma mater. It's a liberal arts college called Williams College in Western Massachusetts. So my role there was to read and evaluate thousands of applications, recruit students, represent the college at college fairs, and ultimately I had a role in the admission committee. I was one of those people sitting around the table and making a decision about the fates of hundreds, thousands of students at a very selective school where really we only admitted about 10% of students at the time. Williams is a liberal arts college, which essentially means that you're liberated, you're free to study across the curriculum. And the point of going to a liberal arts college is to graduate that well-rounded learner and thinker. Because of my experience as an admission officer at a liberal arts college, I got a special view into the experiences of so many of my peers who were studying different things. So I try to bring that to my work at Ingenious. Fantastic. So just a little bit of context for our listeners. 11 of our students were admitted to MIT last year, and you were the former admissions officer for one of them, which is incredible. 
And now to set the scene here, can you describe what type of student they were? Sure. Yes, we were very proud of her admission to MIT. So as you can probably imagine, she was a, simply put, a top-notch student. I'll call her student X. She was in the top 5% of her class, possibly even the top 3%, and a robust activity list full of pre-engineering-oriented involvement. And she also had this mentorship and STEM education bend to her profile. She had a plethora of prestigious honors and awards, and of course, a string of AP scores of five. So academically, she looked a lot like the typical MIT admit. Student X's thing was environmental engineering. She was motivated to stop the devastating impacts of climate change. She was also a dancer and a mentor for a local STEM club where she devised experiments to expose students who might not otherwise have the opportunity to explore careers and concepts in STEM. As you can probably tell from her profile, she was interested in top schools from the moment that she started high school. So she came to us interested in schools like MIT, University of Chicago, Stanford, and her profile had been crafted over the course of those three years to very much be in line with the, the statistics for admission to MIT. And now taking a step further with the strategy, I know every student gets a strategy report from their former admissions officer when they start working with us, which kind of outlines the overall plan for a student's application. So what did this student's report look like? Can you walk us through what your game plan was for this student? Well, I am a liberal artist, so as a problem solver, I wanted to attack this from a couple of different angles. Student X was quite well-rounded. She had the strong academic profile, and she wasn't only competent and excellent in STEM. She had strengths in languages and social sciences. She was an excellent writer. So we wanted to emphasize not simply a well-rounded, but a well-integrated personality. But even at a STEM school like MIT, we were hoping to package her particular brand of dynamism. She's a, a builder and a tinkerer on top of an excellent scholar. She shared with us that she has a long-standing love of Legos. She remembers when she was little, building all kinds of contraptions and, you know, failed and successful experiments and learning from those. And in reflecting upon that, she realized that this has always been part of who she is and will continue to be, whether she finds new interests in college. So we wanted to demonstrate that she has all of these talents and these skills, but really it's probably only the beginning. One other thing that we considered for MIT and schools like it. It's a STEM school, but STEM is a very dynamic field. We often group STEM students all together, but within STEM, there are so many different avenues to pursue. So we wanted to make that very clear with student X's profile, that she was motivated and pretty certain that she wanted to do environmental engineering for reasons A, B, and C, but who knows, with all of her imagination and creativity, she might use her talents and skills elsewhere. I love that. And I actually have a question from a listener here. And they said, from listening to your episode, I know that my son needs to be involved and have these amazing achievements in lots of different areas. But how can he portray himself as well-rounded with lots of different interests without having his application become fuzzy? What is your advice for this parent? 
I've heard a number of admission deans at top schools explain the difference between well-rounded and what that really means, what they're looking for. Of course, admission officers are looking for well-rounded students in that students should have great grades in a rigorous program. They should be involved in their community and be able to demonstrate evidence of community impact. They should have excellent characteristic and personal qualities, but admission officers are looking for pointy students students who are well-rounded in all those ways, but also have a very particular niche interest. They've taken their passions and they've really run with it. And that's not to say that if you haven't decided on your major or your future life path, that's okay. They understand that too. They get that you, you might change your mind, but they want to see that you have a plan so that when you arrive on campus, they believe wholeheartedly you'll take advantage of those four years and make them proud as an alum. So a good application and a memorable application doesn't happen by accident. And I can say this as a former teacher and as a former high schooler myself, that high school is a time to explore your interests, try different things, figure out a little bit about who you are and where you're going. But when it comes time to putting together your application, it's important to sit and reflect maybe with a counseling team, with people who know you well on what your goals are and what you've done that is particularly suited to supporting that you will have further success in that regard. So with student X, there were so many activities that she did that we just couldn't include <laughs> because she was an interested and interesting student. She was always volunteering or joining a new club, but she leaned into her interests more come grade 11, which is what we always encourage students to do. Perfect. And I love that you mentioned activity lists because that was another question I had from a listener. It's a long one, but I'll read it out for you. It says, how do I strike this perfect balance to not only stand out, but also come across as a student that is high achieving and a student who has personality and has a lot to offer to their school? More specifically, I know essays are a great way to showcase personality, but is that something to consider in an activities list? Or should I be highlighting all of my more impressive accolades and accomplishments? Great question, but what are your thoughts here? That is a million dollar question. I really like that question. In my experience as someone who read, you know, dozens of applications per day for weeks in a row for years, I would say that any opportunity to include information that isn't a button that you press or a drop down menu is a chance to demonstrate your fit. It's a chance to show, for lack of a better word, personality. And it's important to remember that you are writing to people who are reading your application, right? People who want to be impressed, who want to be entertained, who want to be uplifted, motivated. So that's why Ingenious's advice to really appeal to that first reader. We encourage you to think about the person reading your application because yes, every opportunity for you to share something that comes from your own creative mind is the way to show that you're a fit. But for those 10 minutes that admission officers have to spend with your file and evaluate your fit for the institution, it's important that you're as authentic as possible. So there are a number of ways where one might stand out on the application. Of course, it goes without saying that in order to earn admission, you of course need to be qualified academically. So this is assuming you have the grades and the scores, the rigor of the program, your teachers are saying nice things about you. But beyond that, the places where you can insert more of what you're about would be the activity list. You only have 150 characters to discuss what you've done and all that you've accomplished, but they're your 150 characters. Same thing, of course, for the essays. And that was a really big part 
of student X's application was the personality and pulling out her very genuine warmth and sense of humor so that admission officers could see that. And I firmly believe that that's part of what helped her to stand out. As excellent as her grades were, they didn't distinguish her at MIT. Neither did her slew of awards and AP scores. But I think that what stood out about student X was her genuine motivation to be part of that particular community. She knew that MIT was tough and that it would be a, an assault on the ego, but she was, she was down for that. She was willing to learn how much she didn't know. And she made that clear in her application. And she ended up including some funny lines in, in her essay that I don't think she ever thought would come through in a college application. And that's because she's funny. We used to say at Williams, if you're funny, be funny. If you're serious, be serious. Whatever you are, to a certain extent, be that in your college application. And that's how you know that you'll end up on the campus that's the right fit. I love that answer. And I feel like it's so hard nowadays because you know, students need these stellar grades and accomplishments, right? And even then, you just never know with these top schools. And I know it's tricky because a lot of our work is very individualized to a student. But do you happen to notice something about your students that are being admitted to these top schools that you feel like they all share? Like, do they have a quality that they all share? Or is it more of a gut feeling for you? I do. I do get gut feelings about it. And I did as a reader at Williams. And certainly as a counselor, I could tell that Student X was a great fit for MIT. I knew it and I was hoping that they would see it, that it would warm through the pages or the screen that they were reading, that they would see that she was such an excellent fit. As I said, what will not distinguish you are the grades and the scores. As I was reading applications, I was continually humbled by how many perfect GPAs and high SAT and ACT scores there are. And the admission officer's job is to read about, for me, it was at least 20 applications per day. And I spent about 15 minutes and I was one of the slower, more careful readers. I learned quickly that grades and scores will you know, not be the thing that allows a student to stand out in a very competitive applicant pool. But I can remember a handful of times when I wrote comments in my reader evaluation card for a student who was not necessarily at the top of their class, might not have had the scores, which is becoming more of a possibility in our test optional landscape. And I remember because of something that I read in the essay or in a teacher recommendation, I very much got excited about their candidacy. And as their advocate, I would write something to the extent of, if we don't admit this student, I will lay down on the floor and die. I mean, we get really passionate about the students that we connect with. And I'm not the only one who did that. You know, we really go all out for the students that, for whatever reason, strike us in that humongous haystack as being exactly the type of needle that we're looking for. And it's important to be consistent in your application that way. So you can insert, you know, snippets of your personality in surprising ways. You don't know what will catch the admission officer's eye. One of my favorites, and this is a tip from a fellow ingenious counselor, but one of my favorite places to add a little bit of color is the future plan section. Students are allowed to choose from a drop-down menu what they think they might want to do you know, after they graduate. And as I say to my students, you don't fit into a drop-down box, right? There, there's so little about you that fits into that. So why don't you type something in? And if you could have your AO picture you, you know, after graduation, what you're doing, that's the aspirational thing that we're, we're trying to pitch for the admission officer. Help them connect high school to their college, to the, the proud alum that you're going to be. 
I love that. And I feel like the bottom line here is that to make that connection, it all boils down to authenticity, which I feel like is a huge discussion in the current landscape, especially with AI being such a hot topic. And of course, if we tell students to be authentic, it's easier said than done, right? So with your students now, how are you helping them develop this authentic persona that is, you know, curated around their interests, but has that depth that would end up becoming this compelling application? How are you navigating that with your students? The application persona, the student's personal brand, in my experience, has always come from a lot of meaningful conversations between the student and the counseling team. And often it's fun for the student to reflect on all that they've done and the many surprising ways that they might be connected. And that was something that we were working on with student X. She, of course, had a very robust and impressive STEM profile with coding experience. She had done research with a professor. She had a STEM mentorship with another professor that had a service component. And then she had this incredible community impact where she'd mentored dozens of kids and started up STEM clubs at under-resourced schools in her area. On top of that, she was also artistic. She loved to dance and talk about choreography. And she was a swimmer. She wasn't looking to get recruited, but it was something that she spent hours a day doing at practice. And In her writing, we wanted to play up to that friendly, spirited love of competition that she has. It's something that she probably shares in common with a lot of MIT admits who have accumulated their their many STEM honors and awards. But we wanted to show that she was, yes, very disciplined and successful in that way, but that she also had fun as a competitor and was a great teammate too. So we were hoping to integrate successfully, and it, it seems we did, that she was this STEM artistic, and also competitor kind of triple threat. And on top of that, she had these golden personal qualities too. And I know we're in results season now, which is such an exciting time for us. And I've been getting a lot of questions recently about our final review service, which prompts my next question for you. When you're reviewing a student's application, what are you looking for that would take their application to the next step? especially if a student is applying and aiming for these top schools. During the final review, my goal is essentially to ensure that all of the the work that the student has done for those three plus years of high school so far is being presented in the clearest and most positive way possible. One thing that we focus on is ensuring that it's a consistent message. So students have many dynamic aspects to their candidacy, their personal lives. But at the end of the day, the admission officer only has about 10 to 12 minutes to read through all of their information and make sense of how they might belong on campus. So it's important to hit on your highlights a few times and consistently. And so through the personal and background information, certainly in the activity list, basically 10 tweets, you know, short descriptions of what you've done, but they should be a coherent, almost truncated essay in some ways, right? Because all of those 10 activities are done by the same person. And the same person, student X, for example, is bringing the same talents and goals and skill sets to each of those activities. And so in order to show that she was intentional and not just a resume builder, we wanted to demonstrate that there were skill sets that carried over and that actually helped one another, that the sum of the whole was greater than just the parts. And are you currently working with a STEM student now in the current cycle? 
Absolutely. I'm working with a number of STEM students, a number of STEAM students, and a number of what I would call, I guess, liberal artists who have interests across the board and decidedly different or seemingly so disciplines. I love STEAM. That absolutely just piqued my interest. Can you tell us more about that? So STEAM is essentially a STEM major, but with an arts component. So a student who might be interested in science, engineering, math, but also has talents that, as we know, are are related in arts, be they visual, performing, musical. And I've found in my experience as a teacher and as an admission officer that students who have talents in both of those areas tend to be able to synthesize them in such a way that they're able to stand out in a pool like MIT's where most students are are strong science, technology, engineering, and math students to have that additional dimension. That's so fascinating to think about because I know it can be strategic to apply as a different, less competitive major per se especially for students applying to these really competitive schools. Is that something you recommend for students as well? We have to be realistic and we have to be strategic. And just from my own experience as a college student, I applied to college thinking I'd be an English and Spanish double major. And a few stops at poli-sci and psych and art history is where I ended up. Flexibility is important. And I often encourage my students to consider adjacent majors, majors that showcase, you know, similar skill sets or talents or touch on aspects of the curriculum that they are most interested in. And you have to look like the major that you're applying for. But most students, because of the way that their high school curriculum is set up and just by nature of being curious people, have a a number of different possibilities or things that they're considering. So when it comes time to choosing a major, especially for a competitive school, like MIT, like Stanford, you want to think about what do I realistically have on my application, on my transcript, in my extracurriculars, what research have I done that adds credibility to my application as a scholar for this particular major. I encourage students to be flexible and to keep an open mind, especially if they are really excited about a particular campus and they know that ending up on that campus is what will be intellectually stimulating for them. And there are a couple of different majors that would be a good fit. And I think that's so important to remember is that you're not deciding your fate. You're not deciding your career. You're deciding your next step. And it's important to articulate what the major will bring out in you and what you've already done that indicates that you're a good fit for it. Perfect. And now bringing it back to student X to wrap up our analysis here. What do you think was that tipping factor into the acceptance pile? So in your opinion, what do you think it was that helped them stand out that maybe other students can learn from? It was her willingness to learn from the unconventional, which is something that I think of when it comes to MIT, that's how student X conducted herself. She was an accomplished young scientist who still stopped to look at the changing color of leaves and marvel at their beauty and carefully consider the the brilliance in the simplicity of an elementary school student's question about a science experiment. So her genuine sense of wonder, her willingness to not know, to learn from others, you know, be it a professor or a, a second grade student. 
I, I think that somehow in her writing, it genuinely came through. I really love that you were able to bring out her uniqueness and genuine passion, as you said, in her application, which reminds me of a statement we often hear from parents, right? Where they say something along the lines of, in order for my student to stand out in STEM, we decided to quit soccer or choir, even if their student might be passionate about those areas, to instead use that time to join a robotics or coding club. So I'm curious, what would your response be to that? We can't be all things. And at a certain point, you have to choose your priorities, whether it's you know the, the math competition or the soccer team. There will always be tough decisions like that to make. The students that I've seen admitted to top schools, and especially those who have an appreciation for the liberal arts, are the ones who not only pursue interest in these other fields, but truly find a way to incorporate them and make their learning in STEM, for example, that much more fulfilling. So students who synthesize their interests in meaningful ways. It's not only about having talent across the board, right? I'm thinking of a number of STEM students who have crossed my desk who have a whole bunch of AP fours and fives in humanities and social science courses, but don't engage with that aspect of the curriculum. And that's okay. That's they've leaned very deeply into CS or you know, whichever field they're leaning toward. But another type of profile is to lean into this liberal arts and this kind of dynamic, multi-layered, whether it's STEAM or STEM, because it's very realistic that as a scholar, you would have more than one interest. And my number one swan song at Williams when I worked in the admission office was convincing students that liberal arts includes arts and sciences, right? You can't be well-studied across the curriculum if you're an English major who doesn't know what the world is comprised of or how to make sense of numbers. And I think some of the best scientists, engineers, problem solvers, they know that leveraging skills in different disciplines makes them a a more creative thinker. And employers and graduate schools know that too. So that's kind of my personal mission is to expand people's definition or understanding of what liberal arts is. And one last thing before I ask my final question, for students in the current cycle, what is your advice for them? I have an astrophysics student right now, and she has her sights set really high on MIT, Harvard, the top schools. And I'm encouraging her and just thinking, if you're doing all of this preparation, all of this research, you're loving this thing. If it doesn't work out at MIT or Harvard, and this is such a hard lesson to learn at 17 or at any age, and for many students, it's the first time they're told no, and there's no good reason. So what's important is following your passion and identifying the fit and having a balanced list. And I can't help but think that from there. We talk about reach for the moon schools, and I like to you know joke and make plays on words about that because I'm thinking if you're reaching for the moon, you have to be stretching all throughout high school and you you aim for the moon if you're already among the stars. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Krista. I had the best time chatting with you today and it was truly so fascinating to hear all the strategy, care, and thought process that went behind supporting student X and their journey. I can really just tell that you approach all of your students with so much love and warmth and they're honestly just so lucky to have you in their corner. Now, Now, to wrap up this episode, I'd love to ask you one final question that I love asking all of my podcast guests. If you could leave our listeners with one key piece of advice, and this can be about anything college admissions, what would that be? You've got the power. The big secret 
is that as much as you want to get into these top colleges and universities, admission offices and admission officers are really nerdily excited that you are excited about their school. So it goes both ways. My experience at Williams, there were so many students that I would have loved to admit, and I didn't get my way. And that's just the way that it goes. So what I would encourage you to remember is that admission officers are people hoping to get excited about students to admit. It's really exciting to find the student that just pops off the page or off the screen that you would just love to bring to campus. So you're writing to a friendly audience, even though it's an intimidating environment and setting, uh, and a lot is riding on that decision. You are certainly in the care of people who want to read your application and are excited to read what you're about. And now that we're closing out this year, I just wanted to wish everyone a happy holiday and a very happy new year. We're so grateful for all the great feedback, questions, and engagement we've gotten recently. And I personally want to extend the biggest thank you to all of you that have been sharing our episodes with your friends and families. So now due to popular demand, I'm really, really excited to announce that we'll be moving to weekly episodes starting January 11th. So you'll be getting more frequent insights from our amazing team of former missions officers. Now, once again, on behalf of the Genius Prep team. We're wishing all of you the happiest of holidays and we'll see you all in 2024. Thank you so much for joining us today. And if you would like to speak with one of our experts, you can set up a complimentary strategy call with one of our enrollment counselors by following the link in our episode description. And for more information and access to additional resources, you can register for our webinars, which is also linked in the episode description. If you have any questions or would like to request a topic for a future episode, you can email me directly at noelle.kim at ingeniousprep.com. Thank you for listening to another episode of Inside the Admissions Office. And don't forget to follow the podcast so you're notified every time a new episode is available. That's all for now. And I hope you'll join me next time as we continue our journey inside the admissions office.